You're listening to Harper Audio Presents, a podcast that brings you conversation and inspiration from your favorite authors, editors, and creators, giving you new perspectives on the world of books, culture, and the arts. We are part of the HarperCollins Presents Network of Podcasts. I'm Ana Maria Alessi, and with me today is Brittany Cavallero, a poet and fiction writer. She's the author of the poetry collection Girl King and is the recipient of a National Endowment for the Arts Fellowship. She's currently a PhD candidate in English literature at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee after graduating from Middlebury College and University of Wisconsin-Madison. She's also an old-school Sherlockian and joins us today to talk about the first book in a planned trilogy, A Study in Charlotte, publishing March 1st by Catherine Teagan Books. Welcome, Brittany. Thank you. So, A Study in Charlotte features descendants from Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. So tell us about Charlotte Holmes and Jamie Watson. Charlotte Holmes and Jamie Watson are the great, great, great grandchildren of the great detective and his biographer. And when we find them, they meet under mysterious circumstances at a Connecticut boarding school. Um, Jamie has known about Charlotte his whole life, but never met her and always wanted to. And when he meets her, it becomes clear that at least in the beginning, Charlotte couldn't care less. And the first book is the story of how in being framed for murder, they become inseparable. It's a great book. There are a lot of twists and turns. I really enjoyed it. So it's a li- but it's a little hard to talk about because of all those twists and turns. But tell us about the school. Tell us about Sheringford. I actually took the name for Sheringford from Doyle's original name, working oh. name for Sherlock Holmes. He called him Sheringford, um, and I added the G to make it slightly. Oh, that, um, I didn't know that. Yeah, more Googleable. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sheringford School is it's a boarding school in Connecticut. Um, kind of a moneyed prep school. Um, Jamie describes it at a certain point as the school where the kids who could not get into the school, where they made astronauts and senators and presidents. And presidents. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this was the school where you went if you were almost but not quite. Um, and there are a lot of people trying to be things that they aren't necessarily, trying to appear like they have more money or more power or more influence or a better wardrobe than they might actually have. Um, It's a school of of a lot of pretenders, but also, I think, of um, some kids who are just trying their best and have ended up there for whatever reason. Yeah, I I felt sort of tense when you described a lot of the things that were going on, which I think is a a good compliment to you because you talk about the kids that are doing drugs and the the kids that are talking trash, the males that are talking trash about the females. I'm sure it's, it's an apt description, but it, it didn't feel like a place where you would necessarily want to be. No, uh, Sheringford, it's not a punishment. It's not a boarding school you get sent to as a punishment, but I think it feels like that for Jamie when he gets there. Yeah, definitely. When he certainly gets there. And Tell us about Tom Dobson. Or uh, Lee Dobson? Lee Dobson, sorry. Sure. Um, Lee Dobson is our antagonist, and it is no spoiler to say that he's very quickly taken out of the picture. Um, And the story starts because he's been murdered. I went to boarding school, a much different boarding school than this. Yeah, I want to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. And I was lucky to never sort of run into anyone like him, but I've heard from my high school students and seen the adult versions of 
the boy who has been given everything and thinks that he is entitled to everything, including girls, um, including, you know, secrets and money. And um, he's just kind of a jerk. And, uh, And he's been after Charlotte for quite a while when we begin the book um, and it becomes clear over the course of the first few chapters that the year before he sexually assaulted her. Um, And so when he dies, he's just gotten into a fist fight with Jamie and his history with Charlotte means that the two of them have to team up to solve that story. And one thing that was really important to me when I was writing this book is that Charlotte was assaulted by Lee Dobson. And some of my favorite, favorite YA books take on that subject head on. But that isn't Charlotte's main story. No, not at all. Not in this book. Um, But it's something that does affect her, and it'll keep affecting her in the books after this. She's grappling with it, but she's grappling with a lot of other things, too. So tell us why Sherlock Holmes. Oh, my gosh. Um, It's like such a small question and a big one. Yeah, Um, it is a big one. Yeah. It's very broad. (laughs) No, I mean, I... I, there's something that just appeals to me and always has, um, although my this, the current like iteration of my obsession with Holmes has really developed in my 20s. I came back to it. I loved the stories when I was a kid. He felt so real to me that I thought he was a real person. But I've always loved, I, I, I love the genius and the genius's best friend. And almost the question for me is less why Sherlock Holmes than why John Watson, in this case, Jamie Watson. Um, I... I love the idea of the character who is the genius's one person, their human credential. The idea that genius can't necessarily, that like in order to be a genius or to be smart that you can't care for somebody else is I think the central emotional question at the heart of the Holmes novels and stories. Um, Whether or not Holmes cares about his boss well, as he professes to. Um, You know, everyone I talk to who loves Holmes the way I do, most of us, our favorite parts of the stories are the scenes in Baker Street at the beginning Mm -hmm. before they solve a case when Holmes is, you know, like shooting the queen's initials into the wall with his gun or swanning around in his dressing gown, uh, doing chemical experiments and and what Watson thinks of all of this, the most long-suffering of men. And for me, it was really important, I think, to explore the idea of genius in a place where I think as a culture we are less ready to find it, which is in a teenage girl, Mm. which is crazy to me, that we've had all these adaptations, so many of which I love, 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 but we've imagined him every which way but as a woman. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was my next question was sort of which is your favorite um, interpretation? I'm a canon junkie in that, like, I love the stories. And so my favorite adaptations, I think the ones that are very close, I love the Granada adaptations, Mm -hmm. the um, Jeremy Brett television episodes. They're so wonderful. But my all-time favorite are the BBC Radio 4 radio plays with Clive Marison and um, Michael Williams. And they have so much heart and wit and And how did you come across them? Just crazy obsession, I think. Just Um, Complete, yeah, completion. Um, But I used to live in one city and commute an hour to another to teach. I see. And they were the perfect length. Um, Sometimes I would drive in circles until I'd finished. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now tell us a little bit about your upbringing because you did, did you spend four years at Interlochen? I spent two, the last two years of high school there. And where did you grow up? I grew up in central Illinois um, in Springfield and my family moved up to the Chicago suburbs when I was a teenager. And how did you land at Interlochen? Well tell us a little bit about what Interlochen is for those who don't know. Sure, it's, um, I went to the Interlochen Arts Academy. I think they're still most well known for their summer camp Uh uh, for musicians and dancers and writers and visual artists and they have a boarding school that's very small. I was just an obsessive writer. It was what I was doing all the time. And my first years at high school were really 
they were fine. I went to a Catholic school in, in Springfield. Um, and then I would get home and I would write all night. And mm. I'd always loved the idea of boarding school. I loved, you know, movies like Dead Poet Society, where my bread and butter, I wanted a red school blazer. That's why I gave them red school blazers. And <laughs> Charlotte, I had this idea that I would have one and like a girl tie and walk around um, with a satchel and go to classes and wear sweaters and drink cocoa. And the writing and the wanting to go to boarding school, I was lucky enough to win a scholarship to go there well, so yeah. I could do it. And it was nothing like that. And so much better. It meant so much to me. Interlochen is really the place of my heart. That's great. And so you knew at a very early age that this was something that you were going to pursue. Yeah, it seemed like I didn't really want to do anything else. Um, And uh, I don't know, in a way, I I kind of wish that I had had a period where I wanted to be a marine biologist or a violinist. Um, But I wanted to do those things. I just wanted to have write about characters who were doing those oh, things, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So you, you studied at undergrad, you studied at grad, and now you're going for a PhD and you're, you're simultaneously teaching. Is that right? I was until um, last year. I still teach in the summers. I teach gifted high school writers okay. at a program through Northwestern. Oh, how interesting. Yeah. And how do you like that? It's the best thing. It's just the best thing. Uh, I look forward to it all year. Keep in touch with my students. I usually have like eight or nine I have some wonderful boy writers, but largely it's girls. Uh And they come in, and they're smart and ferocious and funny and weird and have read everything and write all day. Um, I have them – I teach them from 8 in the morning until 3 in the afternoon for however many weeks. And they come out of it, and they go on and do it. They do such cool things. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. So what's your what's your writing life like? What is your routine? It's so funny. I feel like I'm a night owl who has been trying for years to do the virtuous Ben Franklin thing and, yeah. and wake up to write in the morning. But um, I tend to actually sort of get it together um, in the afternoon. I like to daydream in the mornings uh, with a cup of coffee and my pen. Um, it sounds very languid, but I try to be active about it. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> and, uh, and read quite a bit. Reading has to happen before I write. And then on a good day... I can sit down with a document, with a manuscript, and work on it from one to five. Um, nobody, it's nobody else writes in the afternoon. I'm still waiting to meet them. No, that's that I, I interview an author a week. There are afternoon writers. Oh, thank God. Yeah, okay. they're <laughs> afternoon and they're evening writers. I do think you are in the minority, but you're not at all a freak. That's good. That now, feels good. But I'm also very curious to hear you say, I never write until I read. Mm. So tell us a little bit more about that, because I would think that you wouldn't want to. F- fill your head up with something else. But I really, I firmly believe in the practice of, of imitation. I'm not necessarily doing that when I write right. right now, but it's something I teach my students. I cannot, there's no universe in which I'm William Faulkner, um, which is horribly sad for me. But no matter how much Faulkner I read, I'm never going to be able to sit down and sound exactly like him. But I can read Faulkner as a practitioner looking for things to steal, I can read Faulkner as someone who loves Faulkner, who just wants to swim in it. I can remember what beautiful language sounds like. I see. When, when I sit down, maybe there's a tinge of that or a color of that that's overlaid over my own work. But um, And that's something that you recommend to your students? Oh, yeah. I, I, oh, those poor dudes. I put them through <laughs> their pieces. They, they have to write a lot of imitations. Yeah, because, that seems that's smart. Yeah. yeah um, figure out what you like and, and what, like... If you read something you hate, there's still going to be an element of it, um, if it's good writing, that you can adapt to your own practice. It's really important, I think. And I've never had the ability to sound like anyone other than myself. Right. Um, and I, I don't know if that's you know across the board true or anything, but reading just reminds me why also I want to do this. I love a good story. I'm a yeah. narrative addict. 
well, you're finishing book two, and yes. you have a basic arc for book three. So it sounds like you you sort of develop those. Do you develop those plot arcs first, and then fill in? I kind of know what the emotional arc to the story is, um, and. Maybe this makes me a terrible mystery writer, but I, I know where I want my characters to end up emotionally. Um, I, I want to know through the mystery what the actual physical, realistic, in-the-world stakes are for that kind of emotional transformation. So if I think that a character needs to be closer to another character, what are the circumstances right, right, right. that can But that's what you bring know first, that. and then you back yeah. into the other stuff. And I've known from the beginning what the last scene of the last book will be. Oh, okay. Um, so um, there's that, but um, it's more of an emotional beat, I think, than a than story anything. beat. Yeah, yeah. And who are your first readers? Oh, um, my my wonderful agent is, is a terrific mm. reader for me. Um, and in terms of the other people in my life, my, my best friend, Kit Williamson, he actually directed the book trailer for um, First Study in Charlotte. He's a wonderful writer in his own right. Um, he reads for me. Um, do you, and do you reciprocate? Yeah, I do. Um, right now he's working on scripts, and I am less useful for those. I can tell him my favorite parts, or right. I can talk to him about his characters. But um, but the structure is a little less. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not it's not totally in my wheelhouse. Um, and, uh, and do you live near him, or do you exchange it by email? How does it... We exchange by email, but I see him once a month. Um, he lives in New York, um, and we fly back and forth constantly to see each other. He's sort yeah. of my constant collaborator. The book uh, is dedicated to him. Uh, that's so interesting. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's another thing that actually is not, it's not uncommon for a writer to have another writer as, like, a key ally. Yeah. That's sort of like backup. I know. He's wonderful. I, I just, yeah. Uh, how, how did you meet him? Boarding school the first oh, yeah, day. Well, there. technically the Yahoo group for the admitted students before the first day, wow, but I met him yeah. on the first day. Um, and between him and my friend, the novelist Emily Temple, who is wonderful, um, they're, my, I think, my best readers. And she writes fiction for adults, and he's a screenwriter, but we love the same things about stories. Right. And having someone who's just a little bit removed from young adult. I have wonderful young adult writer friends who read for me, too. But, but um, these are your, your first, your closest yeah. allies. Yeah. And how, so this is your first um, work of fiction that's been published. Yes. And it's being published by uh, a well-known and well-regarded imprint, but within a big established publishing house. Yes. So how has that experience been? Really amazing. Different. So different. Um, I have a book of poems out with a university press. Yeah. And I love, love University of Akron Press. But the poetry world is just so different. Um, things are just on a different scale. We tend to be poets, it seems like we all tend to be practitioners and the people putting the practice out into the world. Poets are editors. I mean, I am an editor of a literary journal and we, we kind of put on all these different hats. And so we also tend to do um, a lot of, I think, different work um, ourselves. And uh, it's been really incredible with Harper. It's so different. Um, just a great relationship with my editor, Alex Arnold. She's been terrific, but um, everyone in marketing and publicity has been great, too. It's sort of been a dream. That's good to hear, but surely there have been some surprises. So yes. what has surprised you? Oh, my gosh. Honestly, the turnaround time for when you're writing so books. So slow. No, actually so fast. Oh, good for you. You're the <laughs> only person I know who would say that. No, I mean, like a certain amount of time obviously passes after the book 
is accepted and when it comes out. Um, writing a series, I've had to work at a different pace, and it's been really good for me, um, I think, but it took a little bit of adjustment. I had to turn off the part of my brain, maybe the poet part of my brain, that really wanted to look at every single word right. in the book. Yeah. And I still do, and I line at it by hand obsessively, constantly, but I have to let it go faster. If I had my druthers, I would probably just roll around in it for 10 years yeah. in a room by myself. But Again, you have a lot of company. <laughs> and and what was the cover process like? It was really terrific. I When I talked to them um, about it originally, they were like, do you have ideas? And it was like, well, I'm actually not a visual person. I know if I like something when I see it, which is just the worst thing to say to oh, anyone ever. Yeah, it's just like, <laughs> well, I'll just wait until you. But I did tell them I didn't want photorealistic boys and girls because I don't. I mean, I love, I mean, there's so many gorgeous yeah, yeah, book covers yeah, with I those. Understand. But yeah, I just didn't want to. Particularly for these two characters, I would think. We've that seen that would, them so yeah. many times yeah. already, you know, yeah. and so, and I, I didn't necessarily want like a big graphic symbol on the front, um, just because I, I couldn't really see how that could work for this. And I just said those two things. Then they came back to me with the, like that amazing sort of Victorian yeah. wallpaper cover was like, oh, I like, we went back and forth on it like once and I was like, great, this is, I was, it was charmed. Um, I was, I'm just so thrilled. I can't believe it's my cover. Yeah, that's, it is, it's a beautiful cover. Yeah. Now, what was the last book you read and had a conversation about and what did you say? Oh, wow. So I have a book club, um, that is, it's a lot of fun. It's all girl writers. And, um, the last thing we read and bickered about uh, was Lauren Groff's Fates and Furies. And, yeah. Um, I loved it. I loved it. I loved the language. Um, I loved the kind of extravagant nature of the characters. And as I was reading it, I remember thinking, oh, there are girls in my book club who are just murdering. Yeah, just ready to just, you know, light it on fire. Um, And we had a wonderful, wonderful talk about, like, teaching your reader how to read your book and, you know, by how you write it and the characters you introduce and how to subvert expectations. And, I mean, it feels like a mystery when you're reading it, too. I, I adored it. That sounds like a great conversation. Yeah. Uh, you keep a tally of all the books you read, correct? Yes, I do. And why do you do that? Well, I do keep it. I, I put the ones that I liked on the list, um, especially because it's sort of up there on my website, and um, people like to ask me about it. I never I never really thought anyone would look at it. I just wanted it in a place where I could kind of update it from wherever. But I read a lot of different things. You and, do, yeah. And, yeah, and it's, it's just, it's in a way maybe... If there's any kind of statement about it, it's that there is, like, the the sort of ghettoization of different kinds of writing into different genres that are then considered worthy or not worthy is something that makes me a little bit crazy. And when I was a kid, I would read, you know, like, the backs of, like, boxes of soap if there was nothing else around. And, um, you know, I like good writing. If it's good on the sentence level, I will go there no matter where, you know, the book is taking me. If it's a spaceship, um, if it's like a quiet marriage in South Dakota, if it's, you know, a really good picture book, I want to read it. And so I liked putting together a catch-all. The other reason I put it up there was people like to ask me for book recommendations. Yeah. And um, it's really easy to be like, well, there's a list on my website. Perfect. <laughs> you can look for something there. So it appears that you read more than a book a week because you yes. have about a book a week up there. And I do. some out. Well, and there can be a month where I don't read anything, but um, 
over the course of like Christmas break every year, over the course of like six or seven days, I tend to read 10 to 12 books. I read really, really quickly. You do. And so, um, yeah, it's just sort of like, I feel like I'm mainlining it almost. And do you sort of spend the year deciding which 10 books you're going to put aside for that time <sighs> A period? little bit, yeah. Um, I, have a, I have a shelf that are books that I haven't read yet. Um, and like right now, I've been looking at A Little Life. Um, I'm so excited to read it. I've heard that it's devastating. Um, and I want to find like a weekend when maybe my husband is out of town or something where right, I can just live just, in it until it's yeah, over. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That is a fun way to do it. But, you know, I also love V.E. Schwab's Darker Shade of Magic books. And those are perfect, like, 30 minutes before bed. Um, they're so great and they're kind of wonderfully episodic, or the first one is. And yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I think about it almost like planning, like, a, a meal or something, yeah, how that, I'm going to have it. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> now, okay, so to that end, were you banished to a desert island <laughs> and you could take three books? Oh, my gosh. Oh, three books? Yeah, three books. Okay. Um, I've cut some people slack and I've counted series as one. But I don't <laughs> Doing that. That's really not uh, accurate. They would have to be books that are capacious, books that you can disappear in and reread a bunch of different ways. And to that end, I would say the first would have to be Possession by A.S. Byatt. Okay. Um, the fact that she wrote a book that has compelling stories in like two different historical periods. She writes a series of love letters from like the 19th century. There are poems in it that are good. It's like, I have no idea how she did it. I'm still trying to figure it out. I reread that constantly. Um, the 11-year-old in me would have to say that I would have to pick, like, a Mercedes Lackey fantasy novel with the wonderful talking horses <laughs> and magic. Um, I still reread her books when I just want something familiar and well-lived in. And um, those books taught me, I think, a lot of different ways of how to be a good person. And I love those so much. And then oh, a book of poetry, probably... Robert Haas's Praise. Mm. It's one of those books that is means different things to me at different ages. When I first read it when I was 16, I was just like, oh, wow, there's so much world out there. And now I read it and I think, oh, uh, there are so many different layers to the relationships we have with each other and so many ways we can love and betray. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for a study in Charlotte. It was so fun. And it's available wherever books or audiobooks are sold, so be sure to read it. You will not regret it. It's a great read. And thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. I'm Ana Maria Alessi, and this episode was edited by Sharon Matlin with production help from Jennifer Monroe. Please be sure to subscribe to Harper Audio Presents and you can send us a question or comment via our Facebook page. We hope you'll join us next time as we hear more from leading figures across books, culture, and the arts, all brought to you by Harper Audio Presents.